Her restaurant's unstoppable. Episode four forty four. Hire for nice. There's likely a system to solve everything, <laughs> and uh, be more than an employer. You know, be these people are your family yes. and treat them as such. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then. Join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable 89 percent of guests research a restaurant online before dining out your website is your first impression so answer me this question honestly what does your website say about your restaurant also websites are no longer static brochures they're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eric Solar, My man, Eric are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. I am. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm barely feeling unstoppable this morning. My, my host out here took good, good care of me. Uh, showed me around Dayton last night. Sounds and, like you had a big uh, night. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here, though. <laughs> I made it out, and uh, it's going to be a great day. Awesome. <laughs> Eric Soler is a graduate of the New England Culinary Institute. After graduating, he served as an operations manager for Solganic Food Group for six years until 2016. He'd go on to serve as director of marketing for Hobart until 2016. Did I say 2006 or 2016 the last time i, I don't know <laughs> okay uh, until 2016 which is when he opened old scratch pizza alongside his wife stephanie solar so obviously we're just scraping the surface uh, sure. i can't wait to dive into your story and find out who you are and what sure. makes you you but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you have for us you know i don't know if i'm really like a success quote or mantra guy but uh, i do have like things that i say to the employees all the time and i'm they probably think i'm cheesy you know i walk around saying things like uh there's no day like today to be awesome yeah or uh <laughs> you know i have one for the runners where i'm always like you're not leaving anything on the table are you you know don't leave anything on the table and we mean that like in a couple ways like don't leave anything in the table in the sense of like let's clear the table and get everything off the yeah. table but also like as your personality don't leave anything on the table you know like put it all out there yeah. let them let everybody know like what makes you great and nice. so uh, they probably are sick of me saying those things. It kind of reminds me of like, leave it all on the field or something like yeah, that. Right? Yeah. Leave everything on the yeah, field. And that's the thing, same thing we say, like leave everything on the table. You know, don't, <laughs> don't hold anything back. Awesome. So let's go to where it all started for you. Can you reflect at a time, a uh, moment? Well, first, how'd you get into the industry? You know, I mean, I've been in food, you know, I've only had in my whole life, I've only had a couple of jobs that weren't food related. I think I worked for my dad in the theater for a while and I worked installing car stereos Even for a while. It's a hospitality. Though, yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It's a performance, which is important. Um, but I've always been in food service in one way or another. And, uh, you know, I was joking. I was just telling one of my employees just right before you were here. He's in college right now. And I was talking about how I struggled with college. I. I, uh, I, I told my parents when I graduated from high school that I wanted to go to culinary school and they said, uh, well, that's a good thing, you know, but you should go to regular college first. And if that works out, then we should go to culinary school. And so, I mean, I showed them, I went to cul- I went to regular college and flunked out after a semester <laughs> and, uh, um, then kind of worked in the industry for a little while and then eventually, uh, figured out how to go to culinary school. And, uh, it just clicked for me, you know, it just, it worked, it made sense. And, uh, I did great at it and um, it's just, you know, carried on after that. Nice. So what was it in your opinion that, that didn't work for you about just like regular school? What was it? I didn't care. Yeah. You know, it just was, there was nothing. In, I mean, it didn't interest me at the time. Now learning really interests me. You know, at the time I couldn't, I, there was no, um, I think we were saying right as we were setting up, I like to sort of like, I have an idea about something that I want to know about and I just obsessively research mm. it. That's different than traditional learning where you're sort of have a curriculum of things that pe- somebody thinks that you're supposed to know and you're supposed to memorize those yeah. things over time. That for me doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. if I, I, I have sort of like purposeful knowledge. So it sounds like you're very driven by your, cur- your curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I totally can understand that. Absolutely. I, mean, that's, I feel like what I do every day with the podcast, like I just try to find out who's interesting and I just follow that curiosity. But right. it can be really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so w- at what moment can you like reflect 
reflect on a specific time while working in hospitality, in restaurants, in food and beverage where you're like, this is my jam. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Is there a moment where like that clicked for you or was it always just kind of omnipresent? Um, I think it was, uh, I think it was kind of omnipresent. I think that there was probably a time during culinary school one time when a chef, one of the chefs came up to me and said, like, he just basically, it was one of the first times that somebody really encouraged me as far as something that, that, that telling me that I was really good at something, you know, and that I think, and I think that today, even in, when we're managing people here, like that kind of feedback is, um, something that, uh, people don't hear enough in their lives. And Dude, this is awesome. I love this stuff because I, I agree so much with your Keep going. Yeah. Sorry, so anyways, I, so really I think something that people don't, don't you know, uh, feel enough in their lives or hear enough in their lives. And so when you say it, um, I think it really lasts for people. So, I mean, I, there, there was, so there was just a, it was a combination of uh, um, something that I was curious about and enjoyed along with positive reinforcement yeah. that helped, you know, sort of keep me on track. Mm-hmm. And I say it all the time. And I really do believe just listening to so many stories like your own uh, that we find that we find that passion when people reinforce what we're good at. And it's actually, it's not necessarily the thing that we're passionate about, right. but it's the acknowledgement of being good at that thing, that reward of serving your purpose, Absolutely. right? Serving, serving your community, finding your niche, belonging and having a role is so, so important. So if you see somebody who's good at something, <laughs> tell them, please tell them. Yes. <laughs> right. Cause uh, we need more good people in our industry. So right. All right, keep going, man. Well, but I would just say that that's something that I struggle with because, uh, at the same time, I'm also highly critical of yeah. myself and of, um, uh, you know, the, 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 everything that's happening in the surroundings around me. But I mean, that might be partially why we've been somewhat successful is that I'm constantly sort of critiquing small things. I, that's, if there's something that I struggle with, it's trying to remember all of the great accomplishments that we're making, that, that we are making, that the people in the organization are making, that's making this happen, uh, and to keep acknowledging all those at the same time, not just what I think we might be failing at at any given point. Yeah, but again, the, the details, the, the attention to those details and to have those standards and to not be willing to fold is, again, so, so important. Right, so, right, absolutely. Uh, awesome. So, okay, uh, go to the Culinary Institute. Uh, any big experiences during that time you want to share with us? Mentors, lessons learned? Learned, uh, reflecting back at that time because you were uh, there for six years, right? Well, I mean, I went to the, I went to, to just like expand a little bit. I went to New England Culinary in Vermont. Uh, I went there for two years and then I moved out to Portland, Oregon. Um, uh, and you know, I had, uh, I had a chef Philippe Boulot in Portland at the Heathman hotel that I worked at for a while. And he was, uh, um, really probably one of the first, uh, you know, real culinary influences in my life. Somebody who I was with for several years, um, and, uh, you know, gave me some real opportunities, uh, to learn. Um, after I left, I was, after I was in Portland for a while, I, um, worked at a variety of restaurants and catering companies and I was, uh, probably focused more on pastry than anything. And, uh, and eventually I just got to the point where I, I just didn't know where else I was going to go at that point. I didn't feel like I was on my track on a track to be an executive chef. I didn't really feel like, um, I knew what was next for me in my life. And so I went back to school. I went back to get, a, okay. I went, so I went back to new England culinary to get a degree. So I went back and got my bachelor's degree in food and beverage management. Yeah. So at this time, were you still searching for your strengths and weaknesses at that age? Did you, did you not yeah. quite have it figured out? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that, uh, I think that I got to a point where I didn't, uh, feel that, uh, again, I didn't feel like I was on a, a, the track. I sort of veered off into pastry. I didn't feel like I really was in a place to get back on a track. How old are you at this point? Um, 25, yeah. 24 or something like that. But I mean, that's the time where you figure it out. Yeah. You know, you're that, figuring you're, it you're out. You're trying things and you're, you're trying yeah. to get, you're trying to find that person to tell you you're good at something. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very much a believer in that. Uh, we just need to embark on experiences in our mm-hmm. lives, whether or not they necessarily, uh, like when I left to go back to, um, get a food and beverage management degree, I had no idea what would come of that. I just knew that some new course would take place if I did that. Mm-hmm. And that turned out absolutely to be the case. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I went there for a couple, I went back to school for another two years, um, and, uh, ended up working for New England Culinary Institute. After that, I ran their catering oh, cool. uh, company. Uh, the, the Institute's a very hands-on learning environment. It was at the time. And, uh, we ran a big cater- large catering company. And so I learned, that was something that I learned. Uh, I learned a lot at, that was one of the first jobs where I really felt like I had a tremendous amount of responsibility. And, um, you know, we would do, we were sort of a wedding factory, a wedding machine in new England. And so we would do, uh, um, uh, big catering events, big weddings for 500 people in a cow field in the middle of, uh, you know, Vermont farmland. Yeah. And you know, when you, uh, when you have to have, if you forget the forks for a wedding for 500 that's people in the middle of a farm, <laughs> two hours from the, you know, from the, from home, Did that's this not happen. Good. 
<laughs> things like that have happened. But when those happen, you learn to create systems and protocols in order to prevent them from happening. Nice. And I think that that level of attention to detail was one of the first, uh, you know, one of the most valuable experiences that I had was the, that, that period of time managing that organization. So, yeah, you said you learned a lot doing this, managing this organization. You just mentioned uh, the importance of systems and, and protocols mm-hmm. for, uh, is that something you learned during this time? Like, what are some of the other big yeah. lessons you learned during this time? Uh, I mean, I think that... Uh, Managing people, um, systems and protocols, which still, you know, extends this day. I mean, I'm somebody that believes there's some system that's a solution to everything. There's yeah. either some system or like, you know, people around here would joke that I think that there's some system or a piece of technology that'll solve like every problem, <laughs> they'll solve like every problem, you know, that we can, well, we, I'm looking forward to getting to that question about technology then you might have some good ones for us. So, uh, learning about systems, like talk us through how you learned about systems and how you were implementing them at this time. Like the at right that time in my life, I mean, you know, we, we would, again, we would have, we could on any given, given weekend have five to six weddings going on. We mm-hmm. had, you know, we had uh, eight box trucks, six refrigerated trucks. We would have multiple staffs at multiple weddings all over. And, you know, we had an entire crew of people that are just packing trucks. And that, as much as anything, is the thing to, you know, manage is just how to, how to get a system that makes sure that a checklist that makes sure that every single thing that is supposed to go on that truck are supposed to go with that party is going to be there guaranteed mm. and holding people accountable for, uh, ensuring that we're successful. Um, so I think that that, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's ensuring, meaningful, ensuring people say that last line again, just ensuring people are accountable and that, that they're part of making us successful. So what's that look like? Well, um, you know, that, that, that it, again, if I'm, if I'm thinking back there, you, this is, uh, let me think about what year this would have been. This would have been like, uh, sometime in the late nineties. And so we're probably not dealing with, uh, a lot of computer stuff or tablets, yeah. but we're dealing with, uh, you know, three part, uh, um, carbon copy sheets of checklists <laughs> and, uh, you know, that there's initials next to everything that there's single, single, uh, singular people that are responsible for those, um, uh, those, those, those components and that those people, uh, understand that. And, and they really feel that what they're doing is critical to the success yeah. of the organization. That's a good point. I think a lot of people stop at the checklist, but they never go take the checklist to the next level to actually have the accountability, like initialing your work. And yeah. having that little extra step of having to check off your, not just like have the checklist, like what do we do, but like to have to go through and like right. submit like a, a finished copy is a way to really enforce those checklists. Not many people take it to that level. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I think that that's, I think that that's the case. I think that we rely on sort of tribal knowledge mm. a lot that people are going to just repetitively do the jobs that they've been doing mm-hmm. for a long time. And even, I mean, all of us can forget things yeah. in the, without, without the right tools in order to remember them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, as we were talking about this, it, just, it also reminded me that, uh, you know, it taught me a lot about, um, we were in Vermont and it taught me a lot about the kinds of people that, uh, you know, can work in this organization. I had a guy, uh, who was, who was the guy that was in charge of packing all of our trucks and his name was Bob and Bob did not have a tooth in his head <laughs> and was, uh, probably never, you know, graduated middle school, but he took a sense of pride in the way that he would work that checklist and pack a truck like, you know, nobody I've ever seen. And, and it, you know, it just makes you, it just, it just, you gotta, you gotta give everybody a chance. I dig it, man. Awesome. So, okay. Eventually you find yourself working for uh, this restaurant group and my computers went to sleep. So I can't see the name. Can you say it? So it's called Solganic. Solganic. And, and, so you. when I was in Vermont, uh, I met my wife in culinary. I met my wife the second time I lived in Vermont. So Stephanie and I wanted to move somewhere. We were going to get a job, um, either going to be in Texas or it was going to be in Ohio. We wanted to be close to family. And so I got a job for a group, uh, called Solganic, uh, at the time it's called Solganic Food Group, Solganic Consulting. And, uh, it was a guy here in Dayton who did a lot of, um, retail food service consulting. So that's what, uh, we focused on. Okay. And, um, uh, we focused on sort of teaching grocery stores how to cook. Okay. And so we would go into grocery stores and this was before, uh, this was like late nineties. So it was before there was a lot of places that had huge, what we call home meal replacement programs or, um, uh, you know, big deli cases of prepared foods. And so we would teach people how to, you know, how to, how to make prepared foods. At that same time, we did run a catering company. We also did a lot, did some food service consulting. Uh, there's a big performing arts center here in town called the Schuster center, which I was responsible for, uh, um, uh, setting up their food service operations there. So we put in a restaurant, we put in a catering operation and I, it was a, you know, one of the things we learned about consulting, which if you want something that really, uh, I feel like, um, is one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned was, or, and, and strengths and, and tools that I, I formed was when I was in that organization that a lot of times what consulting really is, is you go out and you identify somebody who has a problem. You convince them in one way or another that you're somebody that could solve it. Mm-hmm. And then you go out and you figure out 
how to solve it, right? You don't go in, you often don't go into the thing knowing how to solve it. Yeah. And that is, um, and, and that is, uh, um, something that I think I've, has continued on for me is that, um, you know, these, so a lot of the problems around the restaurant, you know what, if I, if, uh, if, if all of a sudden my speaker system isn't working, you just got to figure out yeah. how to make it work. You know, but, there's, there's often not somebody who's going to show up and fix my speakers for me. There's a lot of value in that though. Cause as a restaurateur, as somebody who is probably pretty good at committing themselves to a lot of things, uh, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Like you should be delegating these things. So you're not sure. trapped in your business. Right. But there are times like in the growth stage where like you, you haven't scaled to the point where you can get the people yet. Right. So like sure. you, you need to have to be able to like to reach out to, for somebody for helping. Like, I don't like, you know, go research this right. and come back and give me an answer. Right. right. Uh, so it does make sense. I guess uh, if we look at it at that angle, like, there is value there. Yeah. Um, um, so the, what exactly is that biggest lesson is that, you know, you just, because you, you don't well, necessarily I think, have the answer. Like, yeah. I think, I think that the, the, that the, I think that the lesson was, was that any problem that wanted to be solved could be solved with some education, mm. right. And you could solve it for yourself or for others. If you're willing to do a little bit of work to yeah. figure out how to do something. Yeah. Uh, just because you don't know doesn't mean you can't know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Uh, so what were some of the other big lessons aside from knowing that like you, you really, you know, you, you will your fate when it comes to learning, uh, what, what were some of the other lessons? Well, I mean, at that time in, uh, at that time, um, it was about doing everything in the business, in, in the business, having to figure out how to, how to build a staff, how to figure out how to, how to install a dishwasher, what, what was necessary for facilities. And, and that, that time in my, that time in my life really, um, uh, that's how I transitioned into eventually sort of getting out of the restaurant industry a little bit and going into, um, uh, sort of corporate life because uh, when, you, when you're teaching grocery stores how to cook, one of the things that they need is they need equipment that they didn't know mm-hmm. they didn't have before. They mm-hmm. need cooking equipment they didn't have before. So one of the other sort of clients that we had was a lot of um, food service equipment manufacturers because we were helping them learn how to sell to grocery stores. And so through that, I made connections and through that eventually ended up uh, leaving that company and going to work in the corporate world mm-hmm. at Hobart. And so would you say, what was, what was it about that experience or about this, this, this new skills, this new, all these values you're, you're giving yourself, uh, this, this knowledge about all this equipment, uh, was that like just the curiosity that you were talking about earlier, like finding something and like being, Oh, this is interesting going deep. Is that the strength? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think that, I think that, uh, for me that what was interesting about all of that was it was a combination of, uh, um, uh, technology and uh being close to the industry and you know what for anybody anybody who's probably been in the restaurant industry for a while you know i was i was uh i just had had my first child Mm -hmm. and i was working kind of crazy hours uh in these food service operations that we'd started and uh i mean honestly i was thrilled to get out of the restaurant industry to like go to a nine to five job every day and uh at the time i thought um that that's what i needed and it was at the time what i needed you know i needed a break from the kind of life and the kind of schedule I was working. Um, I've now looking back, I've, I realize now that that's not absolutely necessary. And it was one of the goals of, uh, when I started this restaurant is that you could build or you could, you could conceive of a concept that was built differently mm-hmm. that didn't require that of you or your managers or, uh, you know, these sort of crazy lifestyles that we sometimes associate with restaurant yeah. life. But at the time getting into a regular nine to five job was like a it's, godsend to yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned, uh, well, I just had uh, Bill Fuller on the show from uh, out in Pittsburgh, uh, the big burrito okay. group, I believe, yeah, is the restaurant group. Familiar. And uh, they were talking about how they're also trying to get away from this, these crazy 60, 70-hour weeks. And they're forcing people, managers, to clock out between 55 and 50 hours and line people to be out within 40 hours. And what they're finding is that when you when you force people to get out at a certain time, the, the efficiencies go way up and the creativity goes way up. And, hmm. and you can make it happen. because. Uh, for the most part, a lot of restaurants can be really kind of inefficient. You yeah. Know? So when you put those constrictions there, it forces people to, to, to figure it out. Yeah. And then that also allows them to take care of themselves. Right. So there's a, it, it can happen. Well, <laughs> I, think the other, I think that the other way that you create and something that we're working on right now is the other way that you, um, when you expand the capabilities, so you've got a certain number of managers and a certain number of hours that need to be, you know, covered in a week. When you expand the capabilities and the skill sets of other people in the organization that you've identified, right, it helps them grow, helps reduce the burden on mm-hmm. managers. And I think that there's always ways to um, stay flexible and uh, um, help people maintain a, a sane life. Cool. I love it. All right. So moving on to your, your work at ITW, did I get there? Hobart, well, yeah. And there's a, there's a company called Illinois Toolworks. ITW, yeah. they own Hobart and Hobart. Yeah. I mean, Hobart's the, the largest single brand of equipment in the world. So it's the, it's who makes your dishwasher. It's yeah. who makes your slicer. It's who makes your scales. It's who makes all that stuff, yeah. you know? And along with ITW, there's other, I was also in charge of marketing for a company called Vulcan, which is ranges, makes all your right? stoves and ranges and yeah. stuff like that. So, I mean, it was all about selling all about the understanding of how to sell uh, equipment to, 
chefs. Okay. Yeah. So are there any lessons here? Any like, like big things that you, you learned uh, that you didn't know prior that all restaurateurs could benefit from that you can share from us? Well, I think that, uh, um, I think that I learned about how to be a marketer, yeah. right? Because I had to figure out, how, I didn't know marketing, but I had to figure out how to, how, to, how to be a marketer. I mean, I didn't start off as a director of marketing. I started off as a marketing manager. Uh, and then I, I eventually worked my way up to uh, being in charge of marketing. And um, so learning, uh, learning marketing techniques, and I, I don't really know if that's, that's really the thing to um, focus on here. I think that, I think that uh, one of the, th- what I learned, I think what I learned most from that organization was um, what ITW is, is a world-class manufacturer. They're world-class at manufacturing efficiencies and processes. And what I learned during that time was how to, how to, how people efficiently build things well. And you know what, how that's trans, how that's, um, transitioned into life today is that, uh, you know, I mean, a, a kitchen is essentially a manufacturing operations. I mean, we take in raw goods, mm-hmm. we add value to them and they go on, they leave as finished goods. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, uh, philosophies that we learned as part of that, um, as part of that manufacturing, and I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. So, um, uh, without giving away any of uh, ITW's trade secrets, there's a very, <laughs> there's a very basic philosophy that, that that company and a lot, several companies base their, um, uh, base their operations on, which is the 80, 20 principle. Yep. I'm not sure if you're familiar with yep. this. So anyways, and essentially cool. for those people that it's, it's also called the Pareto principle, but, um, basically it says that, uh, 80% of your outputs come from 20% of your inputs. Mm-hmm. And, in almost anything in life, you can find this in any sort of a set of a setting where you build or sell something. Mm-hmm. So 80% of the cost of a product comes from 20% of the parts of a product. Uh, 80% of the profits that you make in a company come from 20% of the customers that you're selling exactly. to, whatever the case might be. So, uh, you know, we built a lot of, uh, how we, um, manufacture things in the kitchen around this principle and how we evaluate our business. So shortly after we were open about three months, we sell pizza. We had, uh, we had nine, um, nine, uh, uh, red pizzas and eight white pizzas. And what we found once we ran the numbers was that 80% of our sales came from red pizzas and 20% of our sales came from white pizzas. All of the red pizzas start exactly the same way. They mm-hmm. basically start by, you make a dough, you put red sauce on it and you work it down a manufacturing line in that process. Every single one of the white pizzas started differently. Everyone started with a different sauce. It started with a different combinations of ingredients that were put on top. So the 20% of the products that we were selling created all of our complexity. Yeah. Right. And so we retooled and we changed, we reduced the number of white pizzas that we sell. We simplified them. And, and when we were done, we did exactly the same amount of sales. Nobody complained. And, but, but what happened was, is our efficiency on the line got yeah. exponentially okay. higher because yep. everything, life was just easier. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, and that's something that maybe it's instinctive to some people, but that kind of, um, uh, sort of relentless, uh, um, examination of the product mix, the, 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 um, the, the performance of products, uh, what's contributing all of those kinds of things I really got from manufacturing more yeah. so than from, uh, restaurants, and just challenging reality and not accepting everything for what it is in that moment and really saying what can be different. How can we improve this? Not necessarily like change it like altogether, but like, how can we tweak it to like make it a little bit better or faster? Or yeah. I mean, I think that, that, uh, um, uh, you know, Sometimes uh, some people would say to me, like, isn't it ever just good enough? You know, and the answer is no. I mean, I can I mean, I can constantly think of ways yeah. that we could continue to tweak yeah. and continue to get better and continue to, um, you know, and it's funny. It's usually customers that say that I'll say they'll, they'll, they'll ask me how things are going and I'll say, oh, my gosh, we're doing so much or trying to improve on all these things. And they'll say, what? Yeah. You know, because that's a good thing. Right. If it seems to them like it's working, that's, I guess, the most important part. So. I'm curious, do you apply this 820 rule when it comes to menu engineering and focusing on which products are also the most profitable? And like, how do you, how do you incorporate that 80, that 80, 20 rule to profitability as far as where to put things on the menu and stuff like that? So, I mean, I think that the example that I just gave is a perfect example of menu engineering, how we, you know, identified, um, uh, that, so that, that was sort of from an operations and simplicity standpoint, um, from a profitability standpoint, I mean, ab- absolutely. I mean, we're, we, we try, although I haven't really changed pricing much, we've only been open 15 months. I haven't done a significant amount with pricing, uh, since we've been open. Uh, but, um, we do continue to, to make sure that our highest running items are also our most profitable items. And, um, and that we have a lot of items on our menu as far as menu engineering that I don't, honestly, we do, uh, we do weekly, you know, specials that we've really been come to be known for that. I honestly have no much, no idea how much they cost. <laughs> right. But I don't think, but I, there are some things in the food, in the food cost mix that I think of as more as marketing than yes. is, than is, uh, so do you set aside a, a separate budget to account for like 
No, 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 okay. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I just, I know that we, uh, um, uh, you know, we, we serve, you know, we serve whatever, uh, 600 pizzas in a good day and I'll serve 20 vegetable specials, right? Yeah. The whole mix of everything. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, a and deal. I would rather give it make it as an opportunity for, uh, because we have, we sort of have a pretty basic menu, right? It's mm-hmm. pizza and salads and sandwiches and beer, right? That's our, that's our business. And so, but we hired people like I have a, a chef, Nate, who, um, uh, Nate Vance, who came from sort of more of a fine dining world, but we just happened to meet each other at a great time in both of our lives where he was really looking for something different. And, um, and so I want to, I, I just want to say like, just do these cool things. Like yeah. in addition, I think that that's part of what's made us made us successful is that, uh, what's, what's interesting about old scratch pizza is that it's really a surprise. Mm. Like you come here and it says old scratch pizza and beer. It's sort of a mid, it's like a low rise industrial building. You come in and what people are surprised about is they're surprised at, uh, how good the quality is. Like nobody is expecting to get the kind of quality level of the pizza or, you know, they're not expecting like uh, right now we have a vegetable special on that's like uh, bok choy, ro- oven roasted bok choy with black garlic molasses and uh, uh, cashews. I can't remember everything that's on it. But the point is, is nobody expects that out of a pizza yeah, place, yeah. right? And so, um, so, but if you, to go back to the sort of restrictions, my, my point is like, this is, a, this is like this area that I can say, hey, just, do whatever you do, want. Yeah, yeah. You do your thing rare, here. Like it's clearly rare. it's working. Yeah. You know, that, that people come in week in and week out to a pizza place just because of the kinds of, uh, um, the creativity, the creativity yeah. and just being, being just non-standard, I guess. Great. So, okay. We're still at the director of uh, oh, yeah. marketing. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. This is all good stuff. Yeah. So you have the, the, you learned about the efficiencies and processes in the 80, 20 rule. Any other big nuggets that you can extract from this time before we kind of talk about when your own vision really started yeah. coming to frame and how you made that vision into reality? Um, I, I mean, I think that, uh, um, well, you know, it, before that point, before that point of going through that life, I mean, I think a lot of people who come up in re- just in restaurants, um, particularly if you're going up just in independent restaurants, you never get that sort of full vision of like, what does a real HR organization look like? Mm. What does, um, what does, uh, um, what does, uh, uh, what, what, do, what, do, what do policies look like? How do I actually evaluate and review somebody? You know, all of those kinds of things that, you know, never happened to me before. I mean, we did, we did, and again, we are not perfect. We struggle to like get things done in a timely manner from an HR standpoint sometimes. But, um, you know, we had some, we had somebody who, uh, um, we gave a, a evaluation to recently and, uh, I apologized for it being like not on time. I mean, we'd probably like 30 days past yeah. the six months and they said, well, I don't know. I've never had one before. <laughs> so that's great that, yeah. you know, I got one. So well, I think that never mind. We were right on time. Yeah, exactly. Great. <laughs> um, so I think that, that learning the value and importance of those kinds of things was something that came out of that corporate experience. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot that can be learned. I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I don't like the idea of, of working in corporations, mostly because of the soul that I feel like you get sucked out of you because I think systems processes procedures are really good, yeah. but there isn't an extreme. And the thing is uh, people don't fit in molds. <laughs> We're not meant to. Absolutely. So like that's like the, the negative side of, of the corporations, but at the same time we can learn so much to get to the point where there's a balance, you know, and you know, you can have those systems processes procedures protocol, but not at the expense of losing your, your, I guess, uh, what makes you, you, you know? Right. Um, and, I don't know. That's kind of, well, and I think that that's, I think that that, um, again, whatever I said earlier, like whatever journey you go on, um, you're going to learn something out of it and it's going to eventually lead to wherever, you know, whatever point you come to. I mean, without, without that experience there, every, when you go to culinary school and you grow and you start going, working in restaurants and you take on titles, you know, like whatever manager, chef, somebody always, all your friends or people that aren't in the business are always saying, well, don't you dream about opening a restaurant? You know, isn't that <laughs> yeah. what you want to do? Yeah, and the seeds I, always being, and you know what? It is such a hard business that I swear before, even though, um, even though I had a culinary degree, I had a degree in food and beverage management. I had 15 years of experience in the restaurant industry. And then I had, uh, you know, experience as a marketer and this sort of corporate management experience. It's still scary. Mm-hmm. It's still something that until I felt like I got all of that, I didn't really feel like I was ready or, and, and I think that that just, you know, that just, that's, that's the way it worked out. That's the way it worked out for my family. That's the way it worked out for everybody else that I spent 10 years doing that before I got a crazy idea that I couldn't get rid of. And we ended up here. Yeah. So let's talk about that vision. When did the vision first come into your, into your like frame? Well, I, uh, I mean, I've always, I'm always, I was always working on an idea yeah. like my whole life, yeah. you know, but I mean, I, I think I was, I was more of a, I was more of the term entrepreneur than anything <laughs> else. You know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I sort of wrote business plans as a hobby, That's you know, cool. so there I probably got a drawer full of business plans of different, mostly restaurants type of, uh, of eating establishments. But, um, I, uh, I just, you know, for one thing, I love pizza. It's just something I was obsessed about. And I, um, this sort of Neapolitan style that we do here didn't exist 
in Dayton and uh, um, I had an idea about a place that uh, that was the kind of place that I wanted to eat. I, I just had grown. I, w- I wanted something that was uh, sort of what I always say is it's like super premium and super casual. Mm-hmm. And I think that that whole fast casual movement has, and we're not exactly fast casual, but that whole fast casual movement has, um, has been brought about by this idea that I want things that are, you know, super delicious and of good quality and have a heritage behind them. And, uh, but I don't want all the pretense associated with dining mm-hmm. yeah. and that's, and that's how I, that's how I generally want to eat in my life. I mean, I eat at bars. Mm-hmm. I always eat it when I eat at the bar because I don't want the traditional dining experience yeah. that much anymore. And, uh, so anyways, I wanted to build the kind of place that, um, that, 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 uh, um, where I would experience that. So where were you when the time you, you had the, the vision, you always kind of dreamed of it. And, uh, when did you commit to saying, okay, we're going to do this. And what's yeah. that process of making it happen look like? Well, I, um, I, I, I had an idea, I had an idea. What's funny is that I, I, um, I was listening earlier to one of your podcasts. I was listening to Joe DeLoss from Hot Chicken Takeover <laughs> because it's so funny is I went, a friend of mine and I, who's not in the restaurant business, we went on a trip to Nashville and we came back thinking, man, we should do, or he came, we came back and he said, man, we should do a hot chicken place yeah. in Dayton. Like that just seems so awesome. We, and I was listening to Joe and I had almost the exact same experience. I went there, <laughs> I sat for two hours in line. I thought, Hey man, this has got to be it. Yeah. But then the more and more I thought about it, I'd always had this idea about a pizza place and, um, a pizza place that was different than the kinds of pizza places that, uh, we traditionally um, work on it. So probably we started, we opened in October of uh, 2016. I think I probably really fully committed that I was going to do it probably a year earlier. And that friend of mine, Dan, who we went with was really the one who probably pushed me to say, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Like we can make this happen. So what was the, I guess, how much money did you think you're going to get? All <laughs> that the like- so that was probably the thing that, that a friend of mine said, like I, I always put money as the barrier yeah. between me and doing this, yeah. that we didn't have enough money to make it happen. How I much did, in your mind did you think you would need? I mean, I thought I probably needed half a million dollars yeah. to make it happen. Yeah. You Is know? that the case? Yeah. That's yeah. about the case. So how did you, did you, how did you put yourself out there to attract onto yourself the resources to make it happen? Well, again, another thing that happened in those 10 years that I was in the corporate world, being a responsible citizen is yeah. I met a lot of people, Yeah, you know? And in the end, uh, and that's somebody, one of my friends, uh, convinced me that, that he's like, I don't know what she said. Don't make the money be the problem. Like there are a lot of people out there who, uh, would believe in you and are more than willing to participate. And I was always afraid of mm-hmm. that. And in the end I asked a few people and they all said yes. Mm-hmm. And here we are today. So are they partners in the business right now? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, we have, we have, a. um, uh, we have, uh, I mean, I'm obviously the majority owner of the business, but mm-hmm. we have some people that are, uh, in s- silent investors Okay, and, um, it's prim- primarily based as, uh, loans and a percentage. Okay. And, um, luckily we're getting pretty close okay. to already to nice to being, uh, to being, you know, so fulfilling what, our obligations. Yeah, so in, in the, the, uh, at the approach you took, the approach you took, what things can we do to protect ourselves, uh, from not losing freedom of creativity from not like, yeah. you know, taking the help and not okay. doing it at the expense of what we want to <laughs> do. Right, so this is, since this is like restaurant industry stuff, I'll yeah. just, just, you know, so a lot of times people do a restaurant investment based on, um, there's basically, usually there's a person with an idea and a person with money yeah. and they're sort of like seen as equals. One is nothing without the other. Mm-hmm. Right. And so often, um, you have a situation where, uh, somebody says, okay, well you can be the creative part and I'm going to be the money part and I'm going to give the money and we're going to be partners. Mm-hmm. And in the end, uh, ever after, right? yeah, <laughs> but usually what happens is that uh, rightly so probably the person with the money gets yeah. their money back first yep. and then in the end they're equal. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and they have some certain percentage of ownership and, uh, we actually, um, we did it. We didn't really do it that way. Exactly. Um, we did something where we, uh, um, the way that we protected ownership is I had a, I had a goal that I wanted to, um, uh, have ownership, have a majority of ownership, but also, uh, enter with partners who were really interested in, um, uh, in our success. And also I wanted to provide them with a good rate of return on their investment. So the, 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 the deal is, is really more of, um, uh, structured as what we call convertible notes. I'm not sure if you know what that is, but, no. but basically it's the idea that, um, it's really a loan that at the end of the loan term converts into ownership. So it's really a loan. So right now today, my wife and I own the company and we have loans to investors. And at the end of the loan period, that loan converts and a small portion of that gets converted into, into, um, uh, um, uh, into shares in the company. Okay. And so, but what it really helps is like during this period, um, uh, first of all, you got to find people that don't really want to be 
yeah. restaurant owners, yeah. you know, uh, in some cases that's a good idea. In some cases you want to have somebody who's like bringing something to the table and is an equal yeah, partner. It's, it's purely investment in you as a person, your ability yeah, right, to make it happen. Right. And that's, and that's the situation that we ended up in was, uh, was a, uh, a situation where, um, we own the company, we have a series of loans. When we fulfill those loans, all of those people will have an ongoing interest in the company. Um, although it will be much smaller than that traditional 50, 50 yeah. split that you often get with a chef and an investor. So what are the, the benefits to uh, convertible notes? That's well, the best, the best, right. the concept of it is that, um, you maintain complete ownership. Okay. In, in the, in the interim period, mm -hmm. you're the, you're, you're the only, uh, participant in the business. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a very, it's a very clear, transactional relationship with mm -hmm. the investor. Okay. You're, you're making a very specific, you agree to a very specific type of payment structure over a term. Uh, it's essentially like, it's essentially the same relationship you would have with a bank, mm -hmm. except that a bank won't loan you any money. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's a similar type of relationship that you have with a bank and why people sometimes want to, like they have idea in their head, they want to go to a bank. Cause if you go to a bank, it's very straightforward. Yeah. I, you, you have this, I'm, I'm going to borrow this amount of money. I'm going to pay you this percentage of interest. We're going to do it over time. And at the end we're done. Mm -hmm. Right. There's something very attractive to that mm -hmm. as opposed to what we normally get, which is you're going to give me money. I'm going to have you in my life all the time. We're going to constantly be talking about how the business is yeah. going. I'm going to be reporting to you constantly. Um, and so this gives you sort of like the best of it both. It takes the stuffiness out of it. It takes some of the stuffiness out of it, yeah. but you know what? But I'm still, but I still treat, um, all of my investors like business partners. Mm -hmm. And we talk about the business all the time mm -hmm. and we do quarterly reviews where I go over what's happening in the business and, uh, you know, but luckily it's gone well, yeah. <laughs> right? It's it good. could always go the yeah, other way, right? Exactly. If it, if it doesn't go well, then if it doesn't go well, then uh, you have a different kind of conversation. That <laughs> yeah. Then you have a different kind of conversation that you're having. Okay, cool. So you get you get the capital, you get the funding, um, you, you open. What was any any big uh, curveballs during the opening process? The the, oh. the first few days. Any big lessons you can share with us? Um, well, big lessons are, uh, um, you know, we also uh, we also own the building. So there was a we basically converted an old uh, auto parts store into a restaurant, and um, it's always going to take longer than you thought it would, but put something on the calendar that's really scary to cancel. <laughs> and if you do that, um, that really helps. Okay. And we, 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 we basically, we had a, we had an event on account on the calendar that, uh, it was a party that, uh, we were not going to miss. And, you know, we, uh, so you took an event, the host at the restaurant before you were open. Oh, and like a forced, year, so like, that, like right yeah. when we first started, so when we thought, when we thought, Oh my gosh, of course we'll be open in October. There's no way we're not going to be open yeah. by October. And we, you know, we, this party was on like October 8th and we got our liquor license on the 6th and we got our <laughs> occupancy on the 7th wow. and we had the party on the 8th. And no curveballs. Well, those were the curveballs. Yeah. I mean, we thought we would be open in beginning of September. We thought we'd already be open by so then. So when did you start the process? Uh, what time was it when you, what year and date month was it when you took the event and when did you get the licensing? Well, the I don't know. I, I, I can only, let me think about it this way. We took occupant, we, 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 we took ownership of the building in basically, uh, April of 2016 okay. and we opened in October of 2016. Okay. So it's six months. Yep. And when was the event? Uh, October 8th of 2016. Okay. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a high school graduate. It was a high school reunion, but yeah. we'd already like you know, we'd already, it was a lot of people we know we'd already sent out invitations. They'd already sent out invitations and there was a certain point at which you just couldn't go back. And so, uh, we just, but that, but that would be my point is have a really, have a, something that's big in your mind that you, a date that you cannot walk back and, uh, you know, you just do everything. You just force, you just do everything you can to make it happen. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, um, time's going by really fast right now. I'm loving this. Uh, but I want to make sure we get some nuggets on uh, opening in, uh, finding catching pace within like how did you uh, i mean you're only one location but how did you scale the efficiencies in your business is that does that make sense like from where you started like what did that look like and then how's it gotten better since right well i mean we we started off uh, um we opened we opened october 18th of 2016 uh and we started off pretty fast i mean luckily again we're pretty ingrained in the community and we know a lot of people which started off with us off with a big email list and we had a good we had a good we had a good start it went pretty fast right from the beginning how'd you build that list just people we knew charity organizations we were a part of, um, uh, that my wife and I were a part of organizations that just my wife was a part of. And we, um, you know, we just, we just took basically our contact list, everybody that we know and, um, created a big list and used MailChimp to send out a big email blast to okay. start the thing off. Nice. Um, and we, so in the beginning, everything seemed hard, you know, you'd, every single service seemed hard. 
um, we ran out of dough several times. I'm really I'm curious before we move on. Uh, how what, how many how many names did you have on that list? What was the size of the list? Uh, we probably had about a thousand. Okay, that's a good place to start on the list. Or being open, that's yeah. pretty impressive. Something like that. Yeah, it was a big it was and a big that's list because that primes yeah. right. primes the engine. You know, and we when we when we first opened, we started with uh, um, sort of by invite only. Yeah. Um, uh, um, when we we did we scheduled maybe six days worth a full week of uh, soft opening events where people were invited at particular times mm-hmm. and we treat we we basically gave them food for free yeah. but we let them we made them order like normal people like normal people yeah. and that sort of got us up to speed uh, I'd say the things that have changed is when I'm from a little community that's adjacent to downtown Dayton and when we opened it felt like I knew half the people in the room <laughs> and now what's great is when you come in and it's full and I don't know anybody yeah. Right. I mean, I know our regular customers, but they're not people from my life. Yeah. They're people who come here because they're our customers, mm-hmm. not people that come here because they're doing, they want to, they're helping me out. Yeah, right. In exactly. the beginning, they were sort of like giving us a try. Well, there's a lot of uh, value. I mean, a thousand people that know, like, and trust you who are a part of your life. That, that is, that alone is the most impactful list you can have. Absolutely. Those are the people that are probably going to end up being your most loyal, trusted people, or, you know, or at least, will help you. We'll prime the engine like we talked right. about. Uh, so if you take the time to build that list and to really think about who's Absolutely. in your life that I can pull into this and let them know what I'm doing, put it out into the universe. Right. Uh, so after you did the, the few soft openings, uh, did, did you announce like your official opening or did you kind of just open silently? Um, you know, we kind of opened silently, although we, ne- we never did like a big grand opening. We never had a ribbon cutting, anything like that. But we had a tremendous support from the local press community. We got a lot of good press right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And so people were coming in because they'd heard about us. Mm-hmm. Um, we got, did you a, announce in the newspapers when you would be open? Yeah, we okay. did. Yeah, we did. Um, well, I'll be afraid to do that. <laughs> well, the thing is, is they won't let you not, oh, really? they keep hassling, yeah. they'll keep harassing oh, you until for they, the flag. <laughs> yeah. They keep harassing you until you tell them yeah. something. Uh, but they've also been really, they've been really great to us and really, um, helped uh, a variety of publications in town have helped, uh, drive a lot of our business. Um, but you know, over time you do, you're saying like, how have the efficiencies changed? We've just gotten better. We've tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and we've just gotten better at everything. And you know, when like this is January now, mm-hmm. notoriously not a great time of the year often for restaurants. And we, and I remember thinking that just a couple weeks ago, everybody's like, God, it's just dead. Mm-hmm. Just so dead around here. Well, we're, we're, we're 27% above last January. Right. But it just feels that way. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, everything feels easier nights where, you know, it used to be, uh, you used to think there's no way, you know, this, we're exhausted. There's no way we're going to get through this, that level of volume just doesn't feel like that now, you know? And so everything becomes over time, whether it's through tweaking processes or just form of habits, form of habits, Mm -hmm. natural evolution, the team gets uh, better and better and better. You know, they learn their jobs and they learn more, they learn to be more efficient. Everything just gets more, uh, just gets more streamlined over time. So I'm curious when you first opened, uh, you said there were some inefficiencies, you ran out of dough, you weren't quite ordering enough, but if you can think of like one Inefficiency, aside from like the pizza example that you gave us, right. uh, is there one thing that you looked at and said, this needs to change? Take us through what was wrong and now how you are better uh, after making changes. Um, well, we, we, uh, um, we, right, right when we first started, we're a counter service restaurant, mm-hmm. right? So, you, so people come in the door, they order it, they often get in line, they order at a counter. And one of the things that we, um, we learned was how to control the flow of people uh, in order to make the system work right. Because uh, normally what you're trying to do is you often what you're trying to do is you're trying to just accommodate the customer that's standing right in front of you and um, and, and do what you think they want at that given time. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things we did is right in the beginning, we had two cashier stations and very quickly we got rid of one of the cashier stations and went to one cashier. Okay. And it made it, it and we've maintained that to today. And sometimes people complain about the line, mm-hmm. but luckily there's a line for us. Yeah. And it we had to figure out how to pace the kitchen. One of the things that's different about, and as people move towards these fast casual models or hybrid service models that a lot of people like us are moving to these days, one of the hardest parts about that is in a regular dining situation, in a regular restaurant, you have um, sort of servers to pace the dining experience. Mm -hmm. We basically get orders for pizza as fast as our cashier can ring them. Yeah. And if you ring them in twice as fast, you know, naturally it's going to back up and it's going to, and it's it's not, we put the slips right. And it's not going to work. So I think that one of the things that if you go to one of these hybrid service models is fast casual is where you walk down a line and assembly line that sort of paces itself by nature. But when you're sort of going up to a counter and ordering, um, you're you're slamming the kitchen as yeah. fast as people can it's, as fast as people can order. Yeah. And when you have a when you have a uh, you know a 17 year old cashier who's sort of feeling the pressure of yeah. all those people in line staring at them, yeah, they don't right? That well. They well, they, <laughs> they want to go as fast as possible, yeah, exactly. right? And so to t- get everybody to calm down, 
set the pace yeah. and to pace the restaurant, yeah. right? That's probably the biggest thing is how do I pace the restaurant yeah. in a model where I don't have servers? I worked at this restaurant um, in New Hampshire. I won't say the name, but they opened the doors at 4.30 yeah. like, or 5. So it was, we're closed until like the, like the middle of lunch rush. So obviously they would have uh, like at 5 o'clock or whatever. I think it was 5 o'clock. Maybe I'm wrong. It would be like just flat seat. Like we'd have like a bunch of people just like come in. And it was just like yeah. because we waited. Like you need that, that time to let the early, you know, the, the early – uh, arrivals get there like the, right. the four o'clock and you can like slowly like work into it but when you get flat sat like that uh, it just it wreaks habit and we struggle we struggle with that to this yeah. day i mean when we have events local events like the university of dayton basketball game or something like that where you'll go from uh sort of decent service to 50 people in line in five minutes yeah and uh um when that happens again again when you're talking about service uh, um, processes it's just math mm-hmm. you can put so many pizzas in the oven and yeah. it takes so many minutes to cook yeah. and it's just math at that point. Yeah. Right. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so pacing the restaurant is probably pacing the restaurant in a hybrid service model is probably one of the biggest challenges that, that, that this type of, and, and when I, when I travel, I go to these type of restaurants on purpose. I seek out people that are doing this because yeah. I want to see what other people are doing yeah, and how they're, and how they're, and I, I was just in Cincinnati last week at a place called Maplewood kitchen and bar. And they, they did a really great job of it. And, um, what, I learned a couple of things. What was that, their approach? I think the biggest thing was, um, uh, I mean, it's sort of like detail oriented, but when people show up, you know, we give them a number and we set it on the table and, and when they show up, uh, you could get, seven or eight people that are really in a group, but they're all on individual checks. Yeah. So it's often not great for service for us because they might, the, the, you put six pieces in an oven. So the first person gets their the first person at the table, gets their food 10 minutes before the last person uh, at the table. Cause we see, you see yourself as a group of people. Yeah. We see you as individual numbers. Yeah. Right. And so they actually got everybody to order together and then separate the checks and have everybody pay individually mm-hmm. so that they're all on one number so that they see them as a group. And I thought it was a real smart, uh, so that the, the, that group is coming back to the kitchen as a single number. Yeah, it's on one ticket. It's all on one ticket. They all paid individually the way they want to, mm-hmm. but you're sort of, you know, that this food's all coming out, should all be coming out mm-hmm. together. What POS system were they using to do that? I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. We use Revel. Okay, cool. We'll yeah. dive into that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So anything that we haven't discussed up to this point that was on your list of, I hope we discussed this, uh, that you can drop on us before we move to the speed round. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think the one thing that I wanted, that I wanted to mention that we do is, um, I wanted to talk about just community, Mm. you know, and we take that real seriously. And, uh, my wife actually had a great idea that, um, before we opened about how can we, I wanted to solve two problems We're a pizza place and I wanted to have dessert. And I also wanted to be a better, um, uh, community partner and they were separate problems, but we, but Stephanie, my wife kind of figured out how to do them together. And so we have a program here we call cones for a cause. And so every month we, we give away for free, uh, soft serve vanilla ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a Mexican place that we used to go to in Texas where the kids would walk up and they would, they would like get their own soft serve ice cream and they loved it. I thought it was incredibly messy. So we don't <laughs> do it that way, but every month we partner with a different community charity, uh, some sort of a local small community, uh, charity we give away, um, and, and, and every hundred percent of all donations that anybody gives for an ice cream cone goes to that charity over the month. Last year, we raised over $20,000 wow. for local charities. But I think the point of it is really is there's probably some way that's built into every business that you can figure out something small that, um, that can make a real difference and really, cause it's, we're all we're really doing is we're really facilitating a way for people to donate, yep. you know, that, that, that gives them a reward in the process. So you supply the ice cream, the we cones, supply the machine, they, the ice cream, the cones, and they donate for whatever they want to pay for each one. Is yeah. that how it works? Yeah. And people will give some people, some people give nothing. Yep. Some people give, have given $20 before. So people will give them $50 yeah. for an ice cream cone. Wow. So well, what's cool about that is all these organizations, I'm sure they're going to be blowing it up on their social media campaign. Like right. go, go support us at, you know, right. uh, the, the scratch pizza. Right. Right. And th- then like, all that traffic that's coming your way, I mean, it has to right. work in your it's favor. It's a big partnership. For I mean, us. that's not why you're doing it. Ultimately, it's right. a give, and if you give, you naturally, it is a great piece of market. Yeah. It is a yeah. great piece of marketing yeah. for us as well. We talk yeah. about it on our social media. They talk about it on their social media. Um, it's an in addition to being a money raiser, it's an awareness piece yeah. for their organizations. People that didn't even know that, like this month is an organization called Shoes for the Shoeless, which uh, um, gives uh, clean, uh, new, good fitting shoes to local kids in Dayton that don't have shoes. And so it's, you know, there's a lot of really important work that's being done out there. And 
Um, but again, it's a system, right? We were able to like, as opposed to the constant barrage, which we get to that as well. And anybody owns a restaurant has a constant barrage of people asking them for donations, gift cards, yeah. events, all of those things. We created a way to sort of systematically focus on one group mm-hmm. every month. And so do, is there like a waiting list or something? How does that work? Yeah. 160 people have applied oh, wow. so far. For, How do you filter through that? We actually had to hire one, well, not hire. We had, we partnered with a group that specializes in, um, uh, um, uh, not-for-profit, uh, organizing. Okay. And they actually, cause they have a really good, this other group has a very good insight into all of these organizations yeah. in our community. And so they help us sort of filter through, uh, who this, but we have some qualifications. Like yeah. we, that has to be local, mm-hmm. you know, each one will get maybe $2,500 in a mm-hmm. month that has to make a difference to them. You know, I mean, although the red cross is a fantastic organization, 2,500 bucks. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make a big yeah. difference to them, but we had a person, we had a group that does, um, that did, uh, um, uh, they gave care packages of, of toiletries to people at the children's hospital, like parents who like had their first overnight experience yeah. and like their annual budget was $12,000 okay. and we gave them 2,500, you know? So yeah. it's like a big that's impactful a, a big thing jump. to yeah. them. So it's been, it's been, it's, and I think it's something that our employees really appreciate that we do and, and they get behind, um, the organizations. So it's been, a, it's been a good, it's been a good What's thing. What's the name of this company that uh, you partnered with? Uh, planned they, to give. Are they international? No, nah, it's just a local, a couple okay. of people locally who help organize, uh, events well, for I'll them, nonprofits. I'll put them in the show notes anyway, because they might know some people. Yeah. Or maybe they're in the sure. industry, but they could refer other organi- yeah. organizations throughout the country. Eric Solar, man, you're crushing it. <laughs> this is a great conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurant? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Eric, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Oh, uh, probably, uh, I don't know if it's a positive thing, but probably the fact that it's never good enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a positive twist on a negative hat on a negative habit. It's that constant drive for just it's that constant, it it's that more. constant, like trying to tweak it a little bit. Sweet. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Uh, probably the same thing that I'm always, <laughs> yeah. I'm always, can't turn it off. I'm, I can't turn it. I can't turn it off. And I'm always evaluating what's so insatiable or what's the non, in, uh, what's, insa- what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, in, in, I don't know. In insatiable is in, like, I'm always, I'm always hungry. No, <laughs> what can I think of the word? Uh, it, oh man, it will come to me. I'm okay. an idiot. Sorry for if you guys are listening to this. Uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Um, I always, I mean, one of the things I always ask people is I always say, 
tell me about something you've done that was hard. Okay. What are you looking for? Um, I'm looking for how people overcome adversity, you know, and how the, and what they, what they see as difficult. Right. And I've had things from people saying, uh, you know, that I, I passed math, which maybe if you're 16 is pretty good. I had a girl talk about, um, a woman we, we hired recently talk about how she went, uh, hiking. She led a group of girls hiking in the, in the Canadian wilderness and a girl broke her leg and she carried her for nine <laughs> days. And I'm like, geez, so, she, she carried her for nine days until they could get to oh a rescue. God. And I'm like, yeah, you're in, <laughs> you're in talk about team, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. So what is a current challenge today for the restaurant? Yeah. Um, for you personally. Yeah. Uh, I think consistently, um, I think being consistent about, um, development of people, I think is, um, setting goals and constantly revisiting them and, um, helping people grow. How are you overcoming that? Google calendar, <laughs> you know, basically making appointments to regularly yeah, meet with people, it, scheduling. Forcing yeah. It. Forcing it as, as, as much as anything. Sweet. Uh, all right. What is a one, a code of conduct or behavior. So uh, a, a core value of belief you teach your team. I don't know. We just had a, we just had our, uh, uh, an employee meeting. We brought up a concept that I actually, uh, heard somewhere else, but I love it. It's, is to live by the grandma rule, which is basically at any given time in your behavior, think about it. Something your grandmother would be proud of. Yeah. You know, Cause I think it's a very simple way to think about, you know, you can, you can set all sorts of rules about HR or harassment or, or how to treat other employees, but at a, you know, at a basic level, it's like, yeah. would, would grandma like this? Yeah. yeah. It's like the grandma check. Right, the grandma check. I dig it. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's standard within your restaurant, but not standard within the industry. So something you physically do to, or say uh, to, to bring um, that service, that service to the next level. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's anything. We, our service is very simple. Um, <laughs> and uh, when you're training somebody on how to like, work the register, like what's one thing that you like make sure that they do that. Right. Uh, I mean, I think having, I mean, I think having a good, a, a, a knowledge and being a fan, like showing yourself to be a fan of what we do is um, something. But I think that we try to let people be themselves more than the average restaurant. You know, okay. we let, we, we want them like, don't leave your personality on it. You know, don't leave anything on the table, right? Show your whole personality. I like it. And I think that that's something a little bit different. Beautiful. Uh, what is one book that's a must read that will make us a better person or restaurant operator? Mm. You know what I, I before we were talking, <laughs> I said, this is not a good question for me. I'm not like, I don't, I don't read a lot of like management books or anything like that. I mean, I think setting the table by Danny Meyer is good. That's probably like an industry standard. And what was the biggest lesson for you in that book? Just about what hospitality is, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, uh, that there's a real difference between customer service and hospitality. And I think that that's the, something that we're, we are really striving for now is trying to, I think that we, I always say we hire for nice. Mm. That's, that's like our, if there's one thing about our, our hiring philosophy is that we hire for nice. You can teach everything else, but you can't teach nice. So in like one sentence, what is hospitality? Hospitality is treating somebody like they're a guest in your home as opposed to treating you can, as opposed to treating somebody, uh, as a transaction. Mm. Awesome. What is one piece of actually, no, I'm going to, Sorry, I missed one. <laughs> I told you last night it was rough. I'm not lying. <laughs> good. Share an online resource or tool. Uh, and this is actually something I'm interested in because you said you do a lot of research online. So is there like a platform, like a medium, which you like to research on? Like a Oh, uh, oh no. I mean, I, I read, you know, industry blogs and things like that. Uh, What's your but, favorite blog? Oh, I'd read a, probably a lot of Eater. Okay. And um, yeah. That's good enough. That. Yeah. I'll throw Eater in there. And uh, what is one piece of technology that you adopted that you're using within your business? A tangible piece of technology that has made you even more like efficient or yeah. more improved communication, more profitable? What do you uh, got probably Homebase, which is a scheduling platform. Okay. Scheduling and, uh, and uh, time clock platform, which in integrates well with Revel, which is our point of sale system. So I think that those two things have been really strong. Okay, cool. And uh, this is the last question. Are you ready for it? Yep. So if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Oh, God. And all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom oh, that you can God. leave behind for the next generation of uh, professionals and just for the good of humanity. What would it be? Or what would they be? I always say it. Um, hire for nice. Um, uh, there's likely a system to solve everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, uh, treat, you know, be, be, be more than an employer, you know, be, these people are your family yes. and treat them as such. 
Eric Solarman, you've been a great conversation. Uh, I've, been, I've loved it. I really have uh, actually learned a lot. And this is we really dove in deep and you're very concise with the, uh, the advice you give. And I really appreciate you for that. Cool. Uh, so uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is maybe somebody in Dayton or Cincinnati? Because I'm going to be in this area for a little bit. Uh, who's somebody that you admire in this industry locally that you think is crushing it, that you think needs to be made an example of? Oh, uh, who um, I think uh, Shane Anderson at um, Ghost Luck Coffee is a good friend and somebody who uh, is really um, uh, innovative and in doing coffee really well here in Dayton. That's Shane Anderson from Ghost Light Coffee. Yeah. Look out, Shane. I'm coming after you. And uh, <laughs> let the folks at home know if uh, we want to maybe pick up the conversation, ask you a question or two based off of, or maybe sure. uh, they didn't quite understand something, or yeah. if they want to come join your team, maybe yeah. they're in the Columbus, Ohio area, or the Dayton, Ohio area. Yeah. What's the best way to connect? Um, you could uh, send me an email at eric at oldscratchpizza.com and E-R-I-C. And, uh, the only way. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be happy to uh, chat about anything. Cool. Uh, this is episode 445. It's hard, getting hard to keep track because I'm so far ahead. In the future. I'm a month and a half ahead in the wow. content right now, which awesome. is the first time I ever got to that point. Uh, so yeah, this is going to be episode 445. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 445. Again, Eric Solar, uh, thank you so much for letting me come in here slightly hungover and just <laughs> with you to share your story. Uh, there is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. Thank you, my man. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, that was good. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Man, what a good one. Eric Solar just dropping bombs of knowledge all over the place. Some great stuff in today's conversation. And by the way, this is episode 444. So uh, I said it was 445. But uh, honestly, I'm getting so far ahead into the future with with content. It's hard to keep track of who's what episode. And uh, I'm recording... uh, episodes in between so i think going forward uh, the way i'm going to do this is uh the uh guest's name so this will be at ep- uh, restaurantunstoppable.com slash eric solar e-r-i-c-s-o-l-l-e-r uh, i think that will be easier to manage uh going forward and uh some really great stuff in today's conversation i think the big stuff uh the 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 stuff that doesn't happen often is the really actionable advice on uh, how to get investors using in, – in, in this example, he used convertible notes, which I might ask him to come back on the show and to dive deeper into how to set that up and how where to go to learn more about this because that's something I want to learn more about. And also some great advice on uh, how to set up those charitable programs uh, uh, to give back to the community and to be structured in doing that. Uh, and then what I love is his emphasis on systems and always looking to make things better, constant improvement like Kaizen, right? That Japanese proverb on just continual improvement and uh even the the one thing i really liked about his advice with systems is uh you you can never let systems get in in the way of the human element the the good parts of the human soul the mojo uh, all that stuff we want to keep i mean we're hiring people for the personality for their soul for the work ethic the the who they are right we don't want to drown that stuff out with systems and processes so you gotta let your people shine um and he knows that and he recognizes that and you never want to use uh systems uh at the expense of losing that those certain human elements that that are so important in this industry so uh I wanted to update you guys before saying goodbye. I'm back in New Hampshire. Uh, in a month and a half, I hit Pittsburgh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Dayton, Cincinnati, Lexington, Kentucky, Nashville, uh, and it's been great. It was a lot of fun. I recorded over 40 episodes in a month and a half, so my gut was right. Uh, get out there. Uh, you know, Just put your nose to the ground. Uh, meet people in their communities ask around, find out who to talk to and doors will open. And man, did those doors open. So a little crazy, not going to lie, uh, living that type of lifestyle, uh, not really being entirely sure where you're going to end up next. Uh, but it was totally worth it. And, um, like I said, I'm back in New Hampshire and the plan, um, now is I'm, I'm headed out to Thailand. So why am I going to Thailand? Uh, I'm not going to just be sipping, uh, you know, fruity drinks on the beach, although I might have one or two. I'm not going to lie. It, it is Thailand. Uh, but the reason why I'm going out there is because uh, the whole purpose of of getting out there, doing this content blitz to get so much content was so I can turn around and work on Restaurant Unstoppable. I'm so busy uh, recording, publishing, promoting three episodes a week, and I'm a, I'm a one-man operation uh, that I never had time to really work on my business, uh, on Restaurant Unstoppable. I'm so busy working 
in Restaurant Unstoppable. And it's time that I start, you know, practicing what I preach on the show, right? So uh, I, I had to go double down, get the content. Now I have that cushion of content, that buffer, and I'm going to redirect my energy, my focus on uh, taking Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level, which means just kind of doing a little bit maybe of a rebrand, uh, updating the website. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not really sure what that looks like, what the, the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like. Uh, I wanted to do more of the of the. Uh, webinars and things, things of that nature. I think I just need to structure it. You know, I need to structure a restaurant unstoppable and make it easier for you guys to comb through that content. Uh, my friend out there is going to help me with that. So why am I going to Thailand? Uh, because one, I have a friend out there who's a programmer, web designer, uh, and he's really going to you know help me out. Uh, that the time I would spend researching how to do this stuff, he already knows how to do it. So he's going to really kind of just steer steer me in the right direction and coach me through that process. And then the other reason, the cost of living in Thailand is like half of what it is in the United States. So I'm going to stretch my dollar twice as far over there too. Uh, and then lastly, um, you know, I might get some interviews while I'm out there. And I think it's going to be really cool to get uh, some interviews from a different culture, different perspectives. So there's a lot of cool stuff coming around the corner uh, here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And uh, let me know what you want Restaurant Unstoppable to be. Like, literally, I'm going out there right now. I'm going to be working on this project. And if there's one thing I've learned, you know, you, you got to listen to your market. They'll tell you what they need, what they want. So I'm, my ears are open. Please shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me how I can make this platform better. Better. I've already gotten a couple emails from folks uh, requesting certain things. And I'm I'm going to work on that and uh, like making the, the episodes more searchable and organizing that stuff so you guys can go through and really filter through better. And I think that's going to be one of the priorities while I'm out there. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm really excited for the future. And uh, before I do uh, say goodbye for the day, I really want to just take this mom- moment to to thank those people who helped me out on the road. So uh, real quick. Special thanks to Roddy Gibbs out in Pittsburgh uh, for hosting me. He's with Total, Total Loyalty. Mikey Saboro with Mikey's Late Night Slice in Columbus, Ohio. Chris Dimmick and the Idea Collective crew uh, for hosting me in Dayton and giving me access to Cincinnati. Uh, Salvador Sanchez, who was actually a past guest on the show, uh, who didn't host me, but I went to Lexington only expecting to get two interviews. It was going to be a stop along my route. And I ended up recording like seven interviews out of uh, Lexington, uh, Kentucky, uh, because Salvador uh, got on the horn and just connected to me with so many incredible people. And I really made them boast out of that stop in Lexington. So thank you, Salvador. And then uh, lastly, but not leastly, Grant Thompson and his family uh, put me up for a week and a half. Uh, same story, just so generous with their space and their networks connecting me with people and i just guys i'm so blown away by the support i'm getting from you the listeners and from people and restaurant tours uh trying to support what i'm doing here at restaurant unstoppable which is just empowering you and giving you guys the knowledge and uh i truly believe in my heart of hearts we're all on this planet to do one thing that's to learn as much as possible and to share that knowledge with the next generation uh and if we're going to make this industry great again uh, and give the power back to the independent restaurant operator uh, in the middle class. Like it's up to us. We need to make this happen. We need to share knowledge with each other. We need to lift each other up. We need to lean on each other. That's the only way we're going to make change. If we're going to, and if we're going to be successful, we need to learn from those who have done it. Uh, And so that's the mission to share that knowledge and to, uh, you know, make you guys unstoppable from that mentorship, from that knowledge. And, uh, the, the support I'm getting is just wow. Uh, so, so thank you for all those people I just listed for you, my listeners. And there's a lot of cool shit coming around the corner. Uh, so stay tuned and, uh, keep on giving me your thoughts. Uh, I'm here to serve you know that don't forget it, but you have to reach out to me first. I don't know what your thoughts are. I don't know what your suggestions are. You got to let me know. All right, guys, I think that's all for now. I've went along a little, longer than usual uh but i wanted to give you the update of what's happening uh so yeah i guess that's all love you all until next time peace out